When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. What is up and welcome to the very first episode of the Alex Fast Show. So, what are we doing here? Uh, every single major league pitcher is in the big leagues for a reason. Maybe their arsenal possesses something unique or they have a distinct release point that allows them to succeed. What this show wants to find out is what's that reason? What is the reason? Why are they in the bigs? Every week I'm going to be doing an exhaustive dive on one pitcher where we're going to peel back the layers on what makes that pitcher tick. In the process, I'm going to be breaking down at least one high-level pitching concept per episode, be it induced vertical break, seam-shifted wake, vertical approach angle, whatever it is. Uh, Every day, I'm learning more about pitching. I'm not an expert, nor do I proclaim to be. I'm learning because there's all these new concepts each day, and I want to be able to do that with you, people who are interested in listening in this podcast. Let's learn together. Let's make some mistakes. Let's get things wrong and figure it out and hopefully get a better understanding of what pitching is all about. Sometimes it'll be doing this alone, but today I'm going to be doing this with a guest. If you're going to start a podcast, why not have your first guest be one that threw a perfect game, right? Uh, In order to help me break down today's pitcher, I am joined by not just a Cy Young winner and a five-time World Series champion, but now a broadcaster who is helping to demystify analytics and as a result, helping to expand the game of baseball and how we talk about it. That is, of course, the one and only David Cohn. David, thank you so much for joining me today, man. How are you? I'm good, Alex. I'm going to take a little exception with I do. I I've learned from you a lot, actually. So I do think you're a little bit of a savant myself. So <laughs> I appreciate your humility, though. But uh, certainly, uh, I I look to you for advice, certainly because a lot of these things are measurable, right? That this isn't yeah. pitching theory. These are things we're measuring with with uh, high speed cameras, with uh, things that measure thing things that measure spin rate and release point and the axis of spin. So these are all things we can look at and develop our own theories uh, based on things that, that we see that are measured. Yeah, totally. I think, you know, I don't want to digress too much, but you bring up a really great point. And it's the one thing that I always try and talk about with, with fans and players alike, where it's like, we're just trying to provide you more numbers to help you get better. At the end of the day, that's really kind of what's what's most important. And I, you're right. People can go too far with it. And I think it is a little bit weird to only it's, there's a spectrum, right? We want you to have yeah. feel, but we also want you to be able to look at numbers and say, this is what you do. How can we help you play to your strengths? You uh, a couple of days ago, we were talking uh, um, uh, after like a, a Sunday night baseball thing. And you actually, I believe, were the one who brought up Bryce Miller to me, which I thought was interesting. So you've obviously seen hundreds of thousands of pitchers in your day. What was it about Bryce Miller that kind of originally piqued your interest? Well, you know, to me, you know, Alex, and you know this too as well. I mean, the thing that's the hardest, the the hardest thing for a pitcher to do is defy gravity. And to me, it, it's, you know, it's easy to use gravity. I threw a lot of gravity balls later in my career, especially where I could pronate and turn the ball over or turn a split finger fastball or a two seamer over and have gravity you know, help me make the ball sink. Uh, mm-hmm. it, the opposite of that is that four seam riding fastball that defies gravity. Uh, that's the hardest thing to do for any pitcher. I think, uh, it, and Bryce Miller just jumped off the page at me and it's a combination of a lot of things. 
his mechanics, his release point, uh, the, the, the trueness of the carry, uh, the deception behind it that hitters just didn't seem to catch up to it. Their swings, the body language of hitters told me something as well. So mm-hmm. I think it's just uh, if you were to wanted to teach a four-seam fastball, to a young kid, I might pull up Bryce Miller as, as, as exhibit eight, or certainly he'd be on, on the first page of examples of, mm-hmm. Hey, do it, release it like this. Here's the release point. Here's the, here's the type of uh, a spin that you want. And, and some of that has to do with grip, but I think a lot of it has to do with release point and mechanics. So that's fascinating. We're going to dive into that four-seamer, but one thing that you brought up that I think is interesting that I would not be able to provide insight on is you mentioned what a hitter is giving you, right? You, you know, you just uh, had an experience watching him because the Yankees actually beat up on him relatively well. Um, you know, one thing I noticed is, and we'll get into the nitty-gritty on the four-seamer momentarily, but because of the carry that he's able to get on the pitch, sometimes he allows himself to miss middle-middle as a result of that, right? And we saw that with Aaron Judge in the first at bat where Aaron Judge got under a four-seamer that was middle-middle. Now, Aaron Judge is second at bat. He took a middle-middle fastball and hit it 7,000 feet. But what have you seen? What, what are you looking for, I guess, from a pitcher? Uh, as it, From a pitcher's perspective, I should say, excuse me, from a hitter. What kind of visual cues um, are you looking for? And what have you seen hitters do from Bryce Miller's fastball that stuck out to you? I, you know, a lot of it is just an educated guess, you know, from watching a lot of hitters over the years. Uh, it's not only just late swings. It's kind of the, how they look after afterwards, the look on their face, like they mm. didn't pick it up. And, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of analytics departments, or at least people within analytics departments, including the Yankees, who are trying to come up with a way. And a lot of, a lot of major league teams are looking for this, is how do you measure deception? You know, what what is deception? First of all, how do you quantify deception? What does it look like? How do you measure it? How do you teach it? And and that's what every that's kind of the uh, the nirvana of of the next wave of 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 pitching uh, metrics, uh, you know, is is trying to go in that direction. And, you know, they don't know yet. And but Mm -hmm. when you when you see it, you know it. And there's something about his forcing fastball that when I see it, I know it just from the body language of hitters, the look on their face, their swings first and foremost, and the mm. adjustments they try to make afterwards, the next mm. pitch, and what they try to do to counter what they just saw is in terms of, wow, that jumped on me. That fastball got on me. I was late. I swung under it. I missed it. It wasn't where I thought it was going to be. I'm underneath it constantly. I'm fouling it off over the dugout. I mean, we mm. see a lot of those type of swings from hitters off of Bryce Miller so far in his young career. So, wow, that's that's interesting to think about because this is where the chess match really begins. And what's fascinating in the context of Miller is so sometimes, you know, a, a pitcher will throw that four seam. You'll see that reaction and they'll have to think, OK, what's my next move? Am I going to go to that pitch again or am I going to drop in a slider for a strike? Is it time for a change up? Bryce Miller, <laughs> the answer is pretty clear. He throws his fastball about 68 percent of the time. So it's interesting to see, you know, it, it, it must speak to the deception then for him to say, okay, I'm going to throw you two, three, four fastballs in a row. And you're really not going to be able to do anything with that pitch. Right? Exactly. that's exactly what it is. And there's a little bit of an old school mentality there. That that's the way the Bob Feller used to pitch, you know, here's my four seam fastball. I'm going to continue to throw it until you prove that you can catch up to it and hit it. And then when you do, I'll go to plan B or I'll go to an alternative pitch or a secondary pitch. So uh, you, you have to have a special four seam fastball to, to pitch that way. And he clearly does. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. And also, secondarily, you mentioned middle-middle with a lot of his location. It mm. seems like the catchers are setting up down the middle for him, saying, you know what, your stuff is so good. Let's just get ahead with it. I'm going to set up down the middle. I'm not going to catch you like Greg Maddox used to uh, – how catchers used to catch Greg Maddox and move side to side and east to west and try to thread the needle and hit mm. the corners from the first pitch on. It's, no, I'm going to get ahead. You cannot hit me. Here it is. Hit it until you prove you can. I'm not going to change. I love that. All right. So let's break down this four-seamer because we've been talking about it and I want to peel back the layers a little bit because it is super interesting when you peel back the layers. So I want to start with talking about induced vertical break. This is the first concept for people listening that I wanted to kind of break down a little bit. As the analytics landscape grows, there's a lot of uniform. Uh, there's not a lot of uniformity, excuse me, in how information is presented, right? Which can lead to a lot of confusion. Movement data is a really good example. How do we? What's the most accurate way to show movement data, right? When I, when I'm talking about how much a pitch drops, should I include gravity or should I not include gravity? And while there's not necessarily a right answer, I do know that most, if not all, front offices are going to discuss movement without regard to gravity. So there are two versions of this I want to give people. There's the nerdy version and the just tell me what you're talking about version. The nerdy version is this. Imagine Bryce Harper throws a fastball. There's where the fastball ends up height-wise and where that fastball would have ended up height-wise if it was thrown on a straight line and impacted by gravity. So take the difference between those two things. You have induced vertical break. The just tell me what you're talking about version is the higher the number, the quote unquote better, the more rise or carry uh, or hop or vert you're going to get, right? Okay, so that's a quick breakdown of induced vertical break. It's probably what most sites, even now Savant, are going to put forward. They just debuted vertical movement without gravity on their search function. Uh, Bryce Miller's got a 19.2 IVB or induced vertical break or vert fourth highest in baseball. Now, when you see a lot of carry, you will often see high active spin. And this is why I think it's really fascinating for him. 87th percentile active spin. That's very unique, right? He has a close to average vertical approach angle, which we'll break down in another episode close to average extension, close to average vertical release point. So what is it that he does that gives him so much carry? One one possible thing that I've heard that I want to hear your thoughts on, Coney, uh, Josh Herzenberg, who's an employee at Driveline, kind of posited this, and I thought it was very interesting. He said that maybe he's getting elite carry because of certain hand positions that he has that are super unique. He might be really getting under that ball and as a result creating a ball flight that sinks less than normal he's kind of positing that there could be some seam shifted wake uh on that pitch and when it cuts so slightly because it is more of a cut fastball than we'd usually see it's 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 allowing him to get that movement profile usually you think seam shifted wake you think two seamers sinkers change-ups maybe sliders a little bit there is seam shifted wake present on every pitch. It's just a matter of how that pitch is impacted. So what I'm interested in hearing from you and your perspective on this is what does it mean to get the ball, get behind the ball specifically for a four seamer? What impact on a four seamer could, could tweaking your hand have? Yeah, some of it might be natural. <clears throat> he might be doing it and he's not even realizing it. But what I will say that is this, is that, we talk a lot about sinker grips, one-line sinkers, variations of sinker grips that a lot of pitching coaches have talked about over the years. Mel Stoudemire was a great one in teaching different sinker grips. Four-seam grips, are, there's no two that are the same either. 
you just think, okay, grip the ball cross seam, right? And then that, that's a normal four seamer. Actually, no, it's not. The, I used to grip mine on the skinny part where the, uh, the, the right side of the ball was open, where, where the writing is on, mm -hmm. on the ball. Mm -hmm. So that's what I call the skinny part. Uh, the, the, if you flip it around on the wide part, that's mm -hmm. a different way to throw a four seam fastball. So there's different ways to grip four seam fastballs that can impact the, the break. One could be more true and actually have a little horizontal movement on it. Whereas if you get on the skinny part of the four seams and it kind of matches up with the contour of your fingers because your middle fingers are longer than your index finger. Uh, if you get the, if you tweak the grip on your four seamer just enough, you can produce that kind of cutting action, a little more of a cut as opposed to a horizontal movement on it. So yes, no two four seam grips are the same. There's a lot of variations with individual four seam grips. And then of course the hand position behind the ball, as you said, something about the release point, the timing of your delivery, when your foot plants, where your hand position is matters, where your grip is matters. And he's got that, that sort of uh perfect storm of all those things mm. combining that allows him to get that kind of induced vertical break with a little bit of cut on it, as opposed to taking a seat or having horizontal movement on that mm. four seam fastball, which it, it inhibits induced vertical break in my mind. That's fascinating. So th there's a, a really great um, uh, pitching analyst on Twitter. He works for, uh, I believe, Marquee Sports Network for the Cubs named Lance Brozdowski. And he brought up something fascinating, too, in one of his many fantastic breakdowns of Bryce Miller, which people should check out on YouTube and over on his Twitter page. Um, but he noticed that there is an, an, an interesting level of variation on the amount of carry that he is getting start over start. So why... Why would that happen? Is that, I mean, obviously I understand there are some levels of fluctuation that are just naturally going to happen. Maybe it's the way that Hawkeye tracks things. Maybe it's the stadium or maybe there's just atmospheric things or uh, maybe it's mechanics. Uh, what do you think the reason behind that would be? Would it be solely mechanics if you're seeing a larger differentiation in carry start per start? Generally, that's the first thing I would go to. I mean, we don't know for sure unless, you know, we, we, you really get inside and look at his grip every single time. And does he grip it the same way every single time? Is he even aware of it? Is he sort of in his glove? How does he get his grip on his four-seamer? Does he have it in his hand? Is the ball in his glove? Does he reach in mm. his glove and then t twist the ball around to get the four-seam grip? There may mm. be some variation in there and how he initially grips the baseball before every pitch so yeah i mean you there's really i mean there's in, there's an infinite infinite amount of variables that we can get into some of them we don't even know about but it's certainly part of it has to be mechanics the first thing i would look at is mechanics the second thing i would look at is how he's getting his grip and the third thing i would look at is release point how much variance is there in his release point and in terms of uh, how that would impact that that induced vertical break fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss that's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions 
who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. That is a perfect transition to one of the next things that we want about want to talk about. So to put a bow on the, the four-seamer, I mean, obviously, the velocity is plus-plus. That's always going to help to give him a dominant four-seamer. And I think it's interesting that while his, his arm slot is super high, right, but his release point is not high, which begs the question that I might be interested in looking into, you know, later after this podcast is I wonder if it would be interesting to normalize uh, release point by height to essentially say that, okay, yeah, his vertical release point might not be super high relatively to Justin Verlander or Felix Batista, who's 6'8", but Bryce Miller is 6'2". So I wonder if he actually does release relatively high. And while I don't know if that would maybe matter for a batter quite so much, it could help explain why maybe we're seeing some elite numbers uh, on a four-seamer that has some interesting properties to it. The next thing that I want to talk about that you, you brought this up, and it, it is a very interesting point about Bryce Miller, is the variation in release points. Um, so I, I did some some digging, and he actually does have a uh, top 10 difference between his four-seamer and his slider release point in terms of uh, uh, the the difference in release points there. I think it's about three inches, whereas usually the difference is like less than an inch uh, on average. That's, I think, fifth or sixth highest among starters. He's got this really interesting gyro spin, this bullet spin slider. Doesn't really get a lot of swings and misses, though, right? It's jumped up a little bit. It's still in like the lower 20th or 30th percentile in terms of swings and misses. It's interesting to look at. Savant, I think, only categorizes him as having a slider when, in fact, I think he has a sweeper and a slider. Do you think, though, have you noticed that release point variation matters that much? over the course of a start? Because I think this is kind of a hot-button issue for people in pitching circles. I, you know, Alex, I think you've hit the nail right on the head there when you talked you know, previously about the variance in his four-seamer you know, being pretty, pretty wide. So when you have uh, that and you go to the release point on the gyro slider being so extreme, that jumping back and forth with those release points can have a carryover effect on your primary pitch, a four-seamer as well. So, yeah, I, that, I'm suspect to that. I, I can only tell you just based on my personal experience, I was a guy who changed arm angles quite a bit, and sometimes mm. I got caught in between release points so that the release points could bleed into each other and I could lose the feel for my four-seamer, and then it would start to take a seat and have more horizontal movement. I held my four-seamer on the skinny part of the four-seam. I, I don't have a baseball, I, and we're not doing this on, on video. I could show you, but I tried to promote where there was a little more off-center of the grip, meaning I, I didn't split the ball right down the middle mm, you know, okay. to, to, to promote you know, where there's equal parts of white on both sides, where you, you theoretically you're splitting your, your grip is splitting the center of the baseball. I held it off-center a little bit to the right side so that the white part of the baseball was a little bit more on the open part that would produce a little bit of cut action to it, more than the opposite. That's what I wanted. I wanted true right on my four-seamer. I wanted to actually cut in on the lefty, if, if anything. And, and so when I would drop and change arm angles for a slider or a sweeper, I actually did throw a sweeper back in the day before we called it a sweeper. But when I started, <laughs> when I started to do that more and more and I went back to the top to try to get that four-seamer, 
the grips bleeded into each other or the arm, the arm slots kind of bled into each other. And then I didn't quite get back on top. And sometimes I was a little lazy with my four seam release point, and then it would take a seat. It would, it would kind of go back the other way, you know, the opposite of cut more horizontal, more fading action to it from a righty left to right movement. So the only thing I can equate that to is just personal experience. It's anecdotal, but I, I just know I felt it when I did it. If I started moving around with my arm angle too much, that sometimes I'd lose the feel for my primary, which was mm. the four seam with a little cut action to it. That's fascinating. I mean, you and I have had a lot of extensive conversations about cutters and four seamers and the relationship there. And the thing that's always stuck out to me, the phrase that you always use that I keep going back to is robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? So yes. that, that kind of reminds me that that's, that's a similar mindset, what you're talking about here, right? Yes, absolutely. It is um, trying to create deception by changing arm angles, trying to give a different look, the element of surprise to the hitter. You know, it, at first it could probably work and it'd be beneficial. The more that I did it, the less the element of surprise helped me. And then the robbing Peter to pay part came into play because I might lose the feel of my primary four seamer over the top, which is that I always, especially back in my early days, you know, I, I had a pretty good fastball. You know, I know yeah. I'm more, I'm more noted for being kind of a slider ball guy or changing arm angles, but my Mets days were mid nineties, four seamer up the ladder and that was my primary pitch. And if anything, it had a little cut on it. And that's when I knew I was right. I had that fastball that kind of did what Bryce Miller's does. And if anything, a little slight cut to it. And when I lost the feel for that, it would go the other way. It would take a seat. It would move mm. the other way and kind of sit and flatten out. And those were the ones that kind of tended to get hit hard. And those are the ones that were elevated a little bit that took a seat, as I said, and that allowed the hitter to catch up to it. And those are the ones that left the ballpark more often than not. <laughs> thinking thinking of you also as the the uh, the original sweeper hipster i think is is very fun we got to get you i threw a sweeper before you threw a sweeper t-shirt <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah. uh what are the last things two more things i want to talk about here like i said earlier i want to keep these you know episodes fun and digestible he does have a a, a curveball and a change up in his back pocket here do you think that, you know, as Bryce Miller continues to develop, let's pretend almost that you're Bryce Miller's pitching coach. And I know, obviously, you don't have access to the in-depth data. So it's a little bit of an unfair question to ask. But do you envision that the curveball and the changeup are things that he should be taking steps forward? Or is he going to be a pitcher who might be like Strider? And while he doesn't have necessarily Strider's velo, he might be able to just dominate with a four-seam slider combination and have a lot of success that way. That's where I would stay first and foremost with the basics okay. with him. Now, as you move forward, uh, the hitters will tell you what you have to do to make adjustments. And he mm. could become more pl platoon specific to me is what I call it. Sort of a, you know, and the, probably the, the number one pitcher that has a platoon specific arsenal is Sonny Gray. It's almost like he has three different pitches to, to right-handed batters and a whole different three different pitches to left-handers, whereas four, he'll throw four seamers to lefties and two seamers to righties. He'll throw curveballs to lefties and sliders to righties and more sweepers. And then, you know, certainly there's some crossover, but it's very platoon-specific, his arsenal. I'm not sure Bryce Miller needs to get to that level yet, but, you know, eventually he may have to come up with more of a curveball and throw that maybe throw a two seamer into righties mm. and a curveball to lefties and the changeup generally will be to left-handed batters. The movement on his changeup doesn't have a lot of, you know, movement downward. Doesn't have a lot of vertical break as of yet. It seems to be kind of more of a straight change, kind mm. of a flatter one, not one that has a lot of action or movement to it as of yet. We haven't seen a lot yet. We need to see more, 
But right now, I would keep, I would say to the basics, just keep it simple. And that's what Spencer Strider said when he got to the Braves early in his career in the minor leagues. It's like, hey, this your four seam is your best pitch. Let's 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 throw that one a lot. Let's master that pitch. Then we'll get the slider going, and then we'll go from there. But let's yeah. master what you do well first and foremost. And that's the advice for for Bryce Miller that you have a great four seam fastball. Master that one. Get the slider going or the sweeper, whatever your best secondary pitch is. Get that one going, and then we'll go from there. I'll never forget to. I saw a clip, and I think actually Strider might have mentioned or hinted at it in his interview with Buster Olney, um, where he's is throwing in spring training, and he goes up to uh, Ozzy Albies after he throws a changeup, and he says, "What? What did you see? Right? Like what? What? You know?" And Albies said, "That ate me up. Like I had no idea what I was doing with that pitch." And it's funny, you see, you know, to kind of bring this full circle, you talked about some of the things that you can't quantify deception right that uh, right now, right? And you can't quantify a hitter's reaction, right? Pretty soon, God knows they're going to have machine learning that's looking at a hitter's face and sees when they're frustrated. And, you know, I'm sure they're going to be able to analyze everything. But that is one thing, you know, one, one thing I always think about is I remember when I was first learning about analytics, and it's like, oh, my God. Are they done? There must be nothing else to quantify. And there's always something else to quantify. It's just we're going to get more granular with it. The last uh, thing that I want to talk about that I'm interested to hear your thoughts on is I really enjoy trying to figure out, you know, each organization has its own mentality, right? When it comes to pitching, right? And what I like to figure out is what that mentality is. I like to, you know, try and pretend as if I'm listening into a pitching, you know, meeting and seeing how they're thinking about pitchers and what they want to focus on in some organizations it seems like they do that in other organizations it seems like they just throw things at the wall and see what sticks the mariners seem like they have an interest in guys with elite four seamers of course who doesn't but also gyro sliders right i mean three of the biggest examples of gyro sliders are are, are currently on that team we talked about miller luis castillo very good gyro or bullet slider uh, Logan Gilbert, very good gyro or, or bullet slider. I mean, Logan Gilbert and and Bryce Miller have a lot of similarities there. In your opinion or in your experience, do you find organizations develop pitchers with a mentality like this, or is it about playing to a pitcher's strength regardless of what the org might be thinking? Well, th- that is the key question, right? Each organization right. trying to figure that one out. Um, one thing we've seen, though, Alex, is top to bottom organizations are more uniform in their their approach to what they teach what their philosophies are where it used to be you know the big league pitching coach had this philosophy your triple a pitching coach might have been a former pitcher who had his own philosophy double a a ball on down the line there wasn't in any uh, sort of uniform measure of teaching or philosophies that's changed quite a bit because of analytics and I think in the, we're just scratching the surface in a lot of this. Some organizations aren't even aligned that way as of yet, but a lot of them are trying to be so that there's there's a similar message on up through the chain so that when minor leaguers get to the big leagues, it's it's not that big of a change. And, and everything they've heard is still being preached on the big league level. Now, with that being said, I still believe in diversity. I still believe mm-hmm. in finding the strengths of the individual pitchers and going with that. And that, mm-hmm. to me, is, is, is one of the, the keys of – pitching analytics and theories in and of itself is ident- the identification of what you do well, you know, uh, and, 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 you, and using that more. And you'd be surprised how, pitch, how many pitchers don't even know what they do well. You know, they're mm. kind of all over the map. I have a two-seamer, I have a four-seamer, I have a slider, I can make it sweep, I have a curveball. Garrett Cole is a prime example of that. All those years in Pittsburgh throwing that two-seam fastball, when he finally got to Houston, they're like, hey, uh, by the way, that's uh, 
that's not that's not a good pitch. <laughs> you probably shouldn't throw that. <laughs> and he was blown away by Brent Strom telling him that. I would love to be in that room when they when they had that original meeting with Garrett Cole. Oh, by the way, uh, your two seamers kind of <laughs> you know. <laughs> so you, you should probably oh, not throw God. that pitch anymore. So that that oh. to me is is the prime example of the identification of what you do well and and mm. and and training that and staying with that, developing that. So. Yeah, there's a fine balance there. Yeah, there's organizational philosophies. We saw it in Minnesota for years, right? Two-seamer change-ups yep. with the ball in play that uh, for a while there was really popular. And then all of a sudden when they they realize that, you know, maybe it's better if we got pitchers who could swing and miss and take some pressure off of our defense, that might be a better mm-hmm. way to go. So, yeah, I mean, it, we're, there's so much evolution in this game. We are just scratching the surface. As you said, with analytics, things are going to become more granular the, t- the technology is going to get better. The high-speed cameras are going to get better. Uh, everything is going to get better, including how we interpret all this data and then developing pitching theories off of this data. You know, yeah. the data is just the data. It, it's, it's all measurable. There's no refuting what, what is measured. The question is, is the interpretation of that data and the philosophies that are the pitching philosophies that are based off of that data. Wonderful. So we've talked a lot about Bryce Miller, we, you know, we talked about the the four seamer and the we've talked about the slider, the gyro slider, the different release points, the velocity, the the induced vertical break we broke down. We talked about the the changeup of the curveball and sticking true to yourself. If if you, people walk away from this this first podcast episode knowing um, a few things about Bryce Miller, what do you want the summation of Bryce Miller to be to you? Who is Bryce Miller? Well, first and foremost. Um, you know, he's got a number one to die for in my mind. I mean, you can't teach what he does naturally. And we don't even know exactly how he's doing it. You and I discussed this in terms of his, is he, how does he get behind the ball like that with a release point so high? He's only six two. The, the efficiency of the spin, the way he's gripping that four seamer, the variance within that four seamer that he probably maybe even doesn't even, uh, isn't even aware of. But nonetheless, if you're a young pitcher, that's where you start. You don't start trying to manipulate a baseball. If you're 12 years old, you don't want to start trying to manipulate baseballs and make it move. What you want to do is do what Bryce Miller does. You start from there and see how hard you can throw it, how true you can throw it, what kind of carry you can get on your fastball. And if you can do that and develop arm strength, everything else will fall in line. We can teach you how to make a ball move. We can teach you how to use gravity to make a ball sink and run and, 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 and do those sorts of things. We can show you different grips on how to throw a cutter and a slider and a sweeper and to use the seam orientation, how to make a ball move. But what you can't teach is that natural gravity-defying four-seam fastball. It's the hardest thing for any pitcher to do. It's what every scout looks for. And that's what I teach. You know, if you're a young pitching coach or a young pitcher in your teens, that, that's how you want to try to throw a baseball and find out if you can. Now, if you can't, then maybe you go to the two-seamer. Maybe you become a sinker ball pitcher. That's fine. But that's that's step step number one is to find out if you can do that because that, for me, has always been the hardest thing for any pitcher to do is to throw that riding fastball, that Nolan Ryan-style fastball that we saw you know, 30, 40 years ago. That's the hardest thing to do. And if you can do it, uh, that, that, that's that's a pretty good place to start with your repertoire. Amen. All right. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. I think we accomplished our mission of giving a pretty thorough deep dive. We just talked about one pitcher for 30 minutes and man, that that, that shot by. I could do that uh, every single day of the week. So, uh, Coney, I, I can't thank you enough for for hopping on this first episode. Uh, Bryce Miller is a pretty special pitcher. I think you and I agree. And it seems like he might be dominating some big league hitters for for uh, 
quite some time moving forward. So thanks for taking the time, man. Uh, and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Let's do it again, Alex. Anytime.